Let's pray before we enter in upon the preaching and ministry of the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have these examples in the Old Testament to warn us not to go down that pathway. The pathway that Eve and Adam took as they gave ear to the serpent. And he told them half-truths. He quoted the word of God, misused and abused the word of God. And Eve added to the word of God. I pray that we wouldn't be like that. Be very careful to just read the written word and let it speak for itself. That we wouldn't add to or take from it and bring upon ourselves the condemnation of the last chapter of the book of the Bible. Lord, bless the word as it's ministered tonight and may we know the enemy. For to know the enemy and to know his tactics, we're halfway there to defeating him. Being aware of what he might try to do to us or through us and uh, from the world to us. In, and I pray that we'd be wised up to this and thank you for the word that makes us wise and for the spirit that teaches us and warns us not to go that pathway. Bless the word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Looking at this thought, there's other things that we could and may look at in time to come in knowing our enemy. We could see his past violations. As you travel through the word of God, you can see all through the pages the ugly fingerprints of the devil. He's working in the lives of people, of individuals, of groups of people, of circumstances, of wicked nations, even working in the nation of Israel to bring their testimony down so they couldn't be what God wanted them to be. And so all through the Old Testament you have example after example of the enemies working against humanity. These past violations. And uh, we're glad that we're living this end of the revelation of God because we have those past violations of the devil recorded for us and any many, many more in church history. We have also mentioned his present vocation, what he's up to right now. <laughs> Maybe even during this pandemic, where it come from, what it's been used for, the laws that have been passed and set in motion, how people react, how the world reacts, how nations react to this, you know, all this, we can see the vocation of the devil, what he's busy doing. We know that it's going to work to a climax because the Bible tells us so. At the end of it all, the battle rages. He's cast down to the earth, as it says in Scripture. And he has great wrath because he knows his time is short. Now, that's not yet, but he knows it's short. He can hear us. He can see the word. Not that he likes reading it. He quotes the word when he wants it when he wants to use it for his own ends. But he knows his time's short and he's up to business, and that's bad business, all of it. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation clearly states and talks about the devil and gives more names to him in one verse than I think are in the rest of the scriptures. We need to be aware of this evil one in his vocation. 
He's going to try to bring the world under his domain. The Antichrist will be the man used to bring into subjection the world and make everybody have a mark on their hand or their forehead and they can't buy or sell unless they do. And it's going to come to a dramatic end in the battle of Armageddon where Jesus Christ will come at the end and fight against the devil and all his cohorts and wipe them out and assign them to their destiny, the eternal lake of fire. And so his past violations, his present vocation, and now they're all sermons, quite a few in the, of their own right, he's, um, but now he's, the plan he's to victimise, his present plan to victimise, villainize and vexate the saints of the Lord through eight points that we notice this evening and another eight points next week. The first point that he plans to victimize us through and villainize us in our Christian life is distraction. The deadly deeds of the devil. Distraction. The devil, the D of the, this D of the devil... <laughs> can be very, a very subtle one. For often the distractions are not themselves bad. In fact, they may be good and wholesome distractions. It's example, for example, it's easy to be distracted from God's perfect will by one's family, which are legitimate, or one's employment, which we're told to work. It's been rightly said that often the real enemy of the best is not the worst but it's the good you see we can be sidetracked we can be distracted we can get to doing things and spending our time where God doesn't want us to it's good but it's not the best God wants us only to do the best Matthew 14.30 says but when he saw the wind this is Peter when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. He was distracted by the weather. He was distracted by the events that were happening around him. We could easily be distracted by this coronavirus and say, well, well, and be full of fear. Look, it's happening. I'm fearful of it. I could get it and lock away ourselves for good and be afraid to talk to people and be afraid to go out. Hey, don't be distracted by that which might be good and staying alive, but be determined to follow the Lord and the best for your life. Was it good, better, best? Never let it rest until your good is better and your better is best. I think it goes like that. But don't be distracted. The old devil wants us to be sidetracked, to, to get us onto something that's not bad, that's not evil, it's good, but it's not the best and not what God wants us to, be, to spend and to be spent for him. Another deadly D is doubt. Satan uses this deadly D. We used it the first time in the story that we read about in the Garden of Eden. He began his attack on Eve by making her doubt the word of God. He said to the woman, as we read in verse 1, Yea, Hath God said, did he really say that? <laughs> ye shall not eat 
of every tree of the garden? You mean every tree? You know, put some doubt, sow the seed of doubt in the person's life. And that's what the devil did. In 1 Timothy 2.8, it reads, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. The devil wants to make us doubt. He wants to make us to doubt the Bible, doubt the promises, doubt the historical facts and the history of the scriptures. He wants us to make us doubt and not have faith. And it's a deadly day when this starts because it leads to other deadly days. Doubting God. You know, when troubles come, financial hardships come, lose our job, lose our income. Oh, what could we doubt? Well, does God really love me if he's allowing these things to come in my life? You know, we I have had plenty of reason <laughs> To doubt and sometimes have doubted. You know, is God in this when everything seems to be going so so wrong, so haywire? And we can doubt the love of God. But remember the scriptures, all things work together for good to them that love God. We have to, in the midst of doubt, go back to the book and back to the promises and back to thinking about eternity and live life with eternity's values in view. And then comes disbelief, the third D, the deadly D. Disbelief is the final form of doubt and vividly demonstrated in Eden. As we've already noted, Satan began by making Eve and Adam doubt God's word. In verse 1, he then finished by denying the command of the Lord. And the serpent said in verse 4 and 5, Unto the woman ye shall not surely die. Don't believe that lie that God said, said the devil. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, little g, knowing good and evil. And so disbelief. If we start doubting and start questioning God's word, higher criticism of the scriptures, many people have lost their heritage you know not saying their faith because you can't lose true faith but lost their spiritual heritage because some unsaved person or some spiritual person sowed the seeds of doubt in their life and that led to disbelief and how many young people have gone to university as it were it seems like a Christian person come out the other side an evolutionist because they were taught to doubt the word and then disbelieve the word and talk, say these are only fables. You have people in pulpits today saying these things are only fables in the Old Testament. It's not true history. This didn't really happen. And uh, doubt leads to disbelief, being distracted from the word of the Lord. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed... Brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And there, their doubt was being bred and led by the Judaizers, by people that wanted them to go back under the law, the Hebrews, the Jewish people to go back under the law. 
and forget the sacrifice of Christ and the writer of Hebrews told them time and again it's our faith our forgiveness is based on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ don't doubt it and he was urging them if any of you if there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God and in chapter 3 there he he talked about the Israelis who had been delivered from Egypt and they're in the desert. And then they started doubting and then they started disbelieving the Lord and his word. The fourth deadly D is double-mindedness. How many have been affected by this D virus? The scriptures are full of examples. Let's consider a few of double-mindedness. Matthew 6.24 No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Double-mindedness. You want both feet in the camp. You're, you're straddling the fence. You're sitting on the middle of the fence. This or that. God or money. The D-virus, Matthew six twenty four, double-mindedness, double-mindedness. Another verse is Ephesians four fourteen, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And today, as we warned even this morning, there's so many false doctrines out there we need to be aware of what they are aware of who's promoting it name the people name the doctrine and don't have anything to do with it avoid it come out from among them separate from them you know fellowship don't fellowship with them don't go with them run from them there's these things are around and this will create double-mindedness and you'll be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine every breeze that comes your way blow you over by the slight of men and cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. Be careful. Know the book. Know the Bible. Know what it literally says. Take it as God's word to you and let the Spirit teach you these things and don't be double-minded about it. You can, can you say, thus saith the Lord? Can you say, I believe this doctrine because the Bible says so in this verse that tells me what the truth is. In 1 John two fifteen to 17 that we used this morning, and it's, it's often been quoted lately, love not the world, neither the things in the world. Double mile, I'd love to have a luxurious place. I'd love to have a big property. I'd love to have a nice car. I'd love this. I'd love that. And instead of having your love toward God, there's double-mindedness. <laughs> this and that. The pride of man. <laughs> The lust of the eyes, the lust of flesh and the pride of life. These things that can make us very double-minded in our Christian life. The New Testament word which describes a double-minded man in the Greek literally means a two-souled man. A two-souled man. That's what it literally means. And he's like a cork floating on the wave. And if you watch the waves of the sea, and this cork comes in, goes out, and it's in, and it's out, and it's all over the place, bobbing up and down. And um, Aesop, Aesop, or whatever they call him, fables of, of he. I've got them on microfish. Most people probably don't know what they are. 
and got a whole pack of microfish with all these examples and illustrations you can draw from the thing before the computers come out. And um, he wrote and described a double-minded person when he wrote about a time when the beast and the fowls were engaged in war. The bat tried to belong to both parties. When the birds were victorious, he would wing around with them, telling everyone that he was a bird. And when the beast won a fight, he would walk around assuring everyone that he was a beast. But soon his hypocrisy was discovered by both the beast and the birds. He had to hide himself, and now he can only appear at night time. Now, it's only a fable. <laughs> but that's Aesop's, Aesop's fables. Double-mindedness. Which camp are you in? Christian? Christ one? Or the world? The devil? Satan's one? Make up your mind. Don't be double-minded. James 1 verse 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 4 verse 8, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So don't be double-minded. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable. He doesn't know which camp he's in. <laughs> Make up your mind. The, third, the fifth deadly D this evening is disappointment. Who has not experienced disappointment in their life? We all experience disappointment. Some have greater disappointments than others. Maybe many, many times, hundreds of times, we might have experienced disappointment. A knowledgeable Christian will examine his disappointments in light of the word of God. Lest Satan should get advantage of us. We can be disappointed, but we need to know the word, what the word of God says. In Romans 8.28... For we know that all things work together for them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. So the disappointments will come. Hundreds of disappointments will come. People will disappoint you. Circumstances will dis disappoint you. Things that go on in the world will disappoint you. You know, the great man Elijah, after he'd won the battle with 400 prophets of Baal, was disappointed. He said, it's only me left. And the Lord said, I've got 7,000 men that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But he took off. He took off and was afraid of Jezebel, the one who had financed the prophets of Baal. You think of the disciples. They all run and fled and were very disappointed. We know they were because two of the Lord's disciples, not the ones that become apostles, but they were on the road to Emmaus and they were so downcast, they were so disappointed when they were taught, they didn't even know they were talking to the Lord Jesus and they said to him, don't you know all that's happened in, in Jerusalem of late? We thought that this one was going to deliver us and now they've crucified him and he's been dead three days and someone surprised us saying he's been raised from the dead. And they were so disappointed they couldn't see. You know, when we get distracted and di disappointed in life and face this one, we 
Everything is coloured by it. When we're discouraged and disappointed, it, it just colours the whole scene and we can't see it for like it is until the Lord speaks to us like he spoke to those two and then they realised who they were talking to and who was on their side. All things work together for good. The, fifth, the sixth deadly D that we look at this evening is discouragement. It's the second stage of disappointment. All discouragement, all discouragement is of the devil. And I quote a, an event from church history that's re, re, reported concerning Martin Luther. For days he'd been in the valley of discouragement and disappointment. The Pope was trying to kill him. Some of his friends had shunned him because of what he was teaching and nailing up. And suddenly he noticed his godly wife coming down the stairs dressed in black as if mourning. Woman, where are you going? He said. To a funeral husband, she replied. Oh, but who died? He said. And she softly said, God did. With great, with that, the great reformer exploded with righteous indignation. It wasn't enough that the Pope was trying to kill him, but now he must deal with blasphemy in his own household. Woman, who told you such a thing, he demanded. And looking him straight in the eye, she said, You did, Martin. The way you've been acting in the past few weeks, I was sure you had somehow found out that God was dead. At that point, Luther knelt and asked both God and his wife to forgive him for his discouragement. Ah, we all get there sometimes, don't we? <laughs> we might smile at Luther and his wife's trick, but I think it's a good illustration. We need to be shocked out of the discouragement at times, and often it's the wife that does it for us. <laughs> In 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved. It was after Ziglag was taken by an enemy and David and his men were away, his 600 men, they came back and Ziglag was been taken. All the wives and the children had been taken and all the stuff had been taken. And all of David's men were so disappointed and discouraged and distressed, they were grieved, every man for his son and for his daughter. But, and, and they talked of stoning David. But notice what David did. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He thought about what the Lord could do. He wondered what the purpose of the Lord was in this. And there was a victory, we know. He won them all back. He went and fought them and got it all back. Those that invaded Ziklag at that time. So we need to be like David and don't being, not being discouraged but encouraging ourselves in the Lord. The seventh deadly D we look at this evening is despair. Despair is the third and final stage of disappointment and discouragement. Unless checked it can prove fatal in the Christian's life. And to despair... Of all hope, that all hope is gone, huh, is not what we ought to do as Christians. All hope is not gone. All hope is not lost. 
the Lord is going to fulfill his promise. We are saved. We're going to be in heaven. He is going to come. All things aren't going to continue as they are. Things are going to change when he comes. Don't despair of life. Paul felt that way at times in 2 Corinthians 1.8. Paul, it said, despaired even of life. There were so many troubles that come to him. He despaired of even living. He thought it wasn't going to be any hope that he would live. 2 Corinthians 4.8 reads, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Different to 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 8. Not in despair. The, the eighth deadly deed that we look at this evening is deceit. And this is a big one. This is a big one for today. It's found many times in the New Testament. As one considers these, some of these scriptures, it's amazing just how many occur and how often it's brought up in the word of God and particularly in relation to the last days, the deceit that will be round in the last days, that even the elect shall be deceived. <laughs> even the Christians can be deceived. And let's look at one in Second Thessalonians. I've been quoting most of them in Second Thessalonians. You have here a record of what's going to happen in the last day, and it's in chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 8 to 10 of Second Thessalonians. We read there, And then shall that wicked one be revealed. This is the last day stuff. The wicked one will be revealed. We won't be here, we'll be gone. Christians will be taken already. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. You say, well, if we're not round, we don't have to worry about it. No, but there's a lead up to this. And I firmly believe that we are in the lead up very close to these things happening. When this wicked one will be revealed. And whom the Lord will destroy when he comes without sin unto salvation the second time at his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause shall God send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. If you don't believe the truth today, if the devil... If the Lord comes and takes us and then the devil turns up and does this, you could well be so deceived you'll never have a hope of being saved. Because you believe not the truth when you had the opportunity to believe the truth. And you loved unrighteousness instead, pleasure in unrighteousness. And so deception, careful of the deception. We warned about this. We told you this morning what to do toward those people who were deceivers. <laughs> Don't follow them. Flee from them. Put them out from among you. Avoid them. Romans sixteen seventeen. But another verse with deception in it is 2 Corinthians two seventeen. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. The word is not deceived but the word is corrupt in this verse we're not as many who corrupt 
the word of God. How, how can you corrupt the word of God? It's by what you say about it, what you believe about it. If God wants us to understand, he wrote it so that we could understand it. And the spirit of God who was in you as a Christian will help you to read that and understand it and be warned by it and to flee from those things that are wrong. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have received mercy, for we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Handling the word of God deceitfully. You say people wouldn't do that. Yes, people everywhere are doing that. People that call themselves Christians are doing that. And in in 2 Corinthians there we have where the devil has his henchmen, we might say. (laughs) His men working in pulpits, in churches, everywhere around the world, turning and twisting the scriptures so it's saying what it doesn't mean and trying to get out of it and add to what it doesn't say. For our gospel be hidden, it is hidden from them that are lost and whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And these, these people who are deceived, in, who is no light at all, don't understand what the scriptures are saying. And there's another verse, and I haven't written it down, but there they are as it were, angels of light in the pulpits of churches and deceiving people. There it is in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. And verse 14, No marvel that Satan himself is transformed as an angel of light. Therefore it's no great thing that his ministers be transformed as ministers of righteousness. That's why they are changing the word of God and handling the word of God deceitfully. The the priesthood in churches continuing. It's Old Testament. It's been done with. The ceremonial law has been done with. We are all believer priests now. We can go to God in prayer. We don't need to go through a priest. We don't need to go through a confessional. There is no purgatory, but they say there's purgatory, a punishment where you get punished and then enough punishment, you're out of there and into heaven. No, it's not in the scriptures. It's handling the word of God deceitfully. You know, some people call us who worship on Sunday (laughs) the the devil's people. What does the Bible say? What does history tell us? Upon the first day of the week when you met together, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, they handle the word of God deceitfully and go over and over doctrine after doctrine of how that's done. Second Corinthians eleven thirteen, as we've just said, I did have it written down. Such a false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And Second John chapter one verse seven was only chapter one, but verse seven. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. If they do not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, they do not confess that Jesus was God in the flesh. Perfect man, perfect God at the same time. 
the hypostatic union is called. If they do deny that the blood of Christ is that which cleanses them from sin, they are deceivers, they're twisting the scripture. They have to deny any truth of the word of God. They're deceivers. They're deceivers and many are entered into the world. So in other words, the devil's big D in the last days is deception. On the one hand, the weird cults of our day deceive people by attempting to add to the word of God. And it doesn't take long to pick up that they do that. On the other hand, liberals practice deception by taking away from the scriptures. Hath God said, (laughs) making us doubt and question it. Jesus himself apparently warns against both deceiving groups, that is the cults and the liberals. In his last spoken message, listen to it in Revelation 22, verse 16 to 19. I, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come. <laughs> and let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. The book of Revelation. It's horrific, the plagues there. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book, Revelation 22. That is a strong warning. If you twist the book of Revelation and try to make it mean other than it literally means that it's chronological and it goes through the church age in chapter 2 and 3, then the church disappears from chapter 4, you see heaven, and then chapter 6, it begins with a chronological order of seven seals and the seven vials and, and the seven trumpets and the seven thunders that are not talked about. And it goes through chronologically as these things happen. It stops at times and explains some things that are, are building up and, and parenthetic, parenthetical portions, we call them. But if you twist that to mean something else, listen to the warning at the end of that book. You will be, your name will be taken out of the book of life. And if it's not in the book of life, it's in the book of works, and you'll be judged by your works and condemned to death eternally jeremiah seventeen nine, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked who can know it don't follow the heart as people say follow your heart follow the lord's heart in the word of god so there's these eight things the distraction the doubt the disbelief the double-mindedness disappointment discouragement despair and deceit always remember hmm In all of these things where the devil attacks, and we've got eight more for next week, in all of these things the Lord, the the devil attacks, remember that you're on the winning side. The Lord is victorious already. He's won the victory. He's been raised from the dead. He's on the right hand of the Father, interceding, just waiting to come and take us unto himself. So we're on the winning side. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you for the warnings that is given here in the scriptures about the deadly deeds of the devil 
in bringing us down. Lord, if we're down in the doldrums and we're, our lips hanging down and we're all out of sorts with you, I pray that we'd be encouraged and encourage ourselves in you and your word. Uh, we are on the winning side. We are on the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ's side. <laughs> the one who's going to bring everything under his feet one day victoriously. Bless us as we go our way and keep these things in mind. In Jesus' name, amen.